Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the world of wine, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we continue and conclude our focus on South Africa by looking at the different regions of South Africa. So South Africa, as the name of the country suggests, is on the southern tip of the African continent and is a large country. Its wine regions are concentrated in the Western Cape, where there is strong influence from the Atlantic Ocean. As you go inland, the climate becomes continental and quite extreme and very hot and not suitable at all for wine production. So the Western Cape is a geographical unit, and South Africa is ahead of other non-European countries by producing uh, the wine of origin designations back in 1973, whereas a country like Australia was more or less forced by the EU to do it in the 1990s. So ahead of the curve there, and South Africa is very proud of its wine heritage, and its wine of origin designations are an important part of recognising the different regions of South Africa. And that's something that's extremely important today because South African producers are really emphasising regionality, that we're not just talking about South African wine, we're talking about different wine regions and different sub-regions within those regions producing their own individual styles of wine. So it's not just uniform and homogenous. And that may seem obvious. Of course, regionality is important. That's kind of the, the centre of how the French think about their wine. But South Africa needs to educate consumers around the world about their wines. And regionality, different styles of South African wine, is an extremely important way of doing that. So geographical unit, e.g. Western Cape, is an all-encompassing uh, area. Within the geographical unit is a region. So, for example, there is a coastal region within Western Cape which, as you would imagine, is by the coast. And then within the region is a district, and this is um, a smaller, much smaller area. For example, Stellenbosch, which is the most famous area in South Africa. And then you can also have a ward, and this is a little bit confusing, because sometimes wards are within a district, sometimes they're not, they're simply within a region. And a ward is really um, based on terroir. So having the soil, the climate, everything being very, very um, closely linked in this, this small designation. And then um, you may on the label see a state. This is no longer an official place of origin as it once was, but if it says a state on the label, the wine must have been grown, made and bottled on a single property. So quite specific. Other rules in South Africa, there are no real rules on yields, fertilizers or irrigation. That's completely up to the producer. And that kind of... And explains why there's such a big difference between the bulk South African wine and the really high quality, uh, lower volume wine. It really depends on the approach to irrigation and yields and fertilizers. However, you're not allowed to uh, chaptalize or enrich. So, I mean, these, this is a warm country, so there's no reason why you should be adding any sugar to the great must. But you are allowed to acidify, which again, makes sense in the warm climate. So this warm Mediterranean climate is moderated by two wind factors coming in from the Atlantic Ocean. First of all is the Benguela Current, which comes from the Antar Antarctica to the south of South Africa. And this has a cooling effect and it goes up the um, western side of South Africa. And those breezes coming, or even stronger winds coming from the Antarctica, do cool the Cape down. And that's why um, the Western Cape and the regions which have some coastal influence can make good quality wine. Within Cape Town itself, there's also what's called the Cape Doctor. And this is a wind which blows across Cape Town, when it reduces humidity and mildew and fungal diseases, which is obviously a good thing. But this wind is quite strong and it does batter the vines. And if you're ever in Cape Town, you can be 
on a street where it's completely still and it's warm, and then you turn a corner and all of a sudden there's a really strong wind, and that is the Cape Doctor, and the vines themselves experience the same conditions. Uh, rain does vary a lot, as low as 250 millimetres in Klein Karoo, to 1500 millimetres in the mountains in Worcester, which is inland, but obviously that altitude does uh, change the conditions. And traditionally, irrigation has been used to make up the equivalent of 900 millimetres a year, which is what Bordeaux naturally receives. Bordeaux, the influence, strong influence there. And the terrain of South Africa is very varied according to the coastal influence and also altitude. So you have mountains uh, rising up from the coast, dual influence of coastal and mountain influence, uh, the valleys falling down from the mountains, very dry inland, and mountain chains inland as well. So really a, it could be a, a rugged terrain, it can be a strip of beautiful terrain, it can be a bit wetter, it can be quite dry. And that, again, feeds into the regionality of South Africa. It is not just one single unit. It really does vary a lot. So we'll look at the regions by um, starting with the coastal region, which is the most important region and may appear on the label. And it's where the best wards and districts are. So this includes Constantia, Durbanville, Franschhoek, Parle, Stellenbosch, Cape Point, Svartland and Tulbach. So we'll start with Constantia. As I mentioned in the first episode on South Africa, uh, this is the, the historic centre of South African wine production, producing one of the great sweet wines of the world back in the 17 and 1800s. And this is in the southern suburbs of Cape Town. So Cape Town is a great wine city because it's just not just surrounded by great wine regions, there are great wine regions within the city itself. And Constantia is a slim peninsula which is cooled by the sea on two sides. And this leads to a slow summer ripening with average daily temperatures of between 18 and 19 degrees C. Winters are wet, and that's where all the rain comes from, about a thousand millimetres average rainfall. And the soils are rich in loamy sandstone and granite, and as vigorous growth so summer pruning and crop thinning is necessary. So that historic site of Constantia is now divided into five vineyards since the 1980s, which produced classic wines once part of that original estate. And Klein Constantia is the most famous, making their Van de Constance, which is their high alcohol sweet wine, which is really, really beautiful and rich, mainly from Muscat to Frontignan. Constantia doesn't just produce that, some really nice Sauvignon Blanc. These are on slopes rising up from False Bay, so-called False Bay because um, sailors, when they rounded the Cape of Good Hope, thought they had rounded it fully, but in fact they were just in False Bay and hadn't got round the tip of the continent. And it's really beautiful. And as the grapes get higher up, the style of wine does change, getting a bit fresher and leaner. And also some good sparkling wine made in Constantia as well. So going away from Cape Town, first of all we'll go north of Cape Town into Parle. And this is the um, really historic heartland of bulk uh, volume wine. And it's still that way today. It's home of the KWV, the big uh, government cooperative. And most of the wine here is inexpensive and quite simple. But to the west of Parle is Svartland, which literally means black lime. And this is dry and arid and quite barren, lots of dirt tracks to get to the wineries. But this is where there's some really exciting wine being made, uh, some from old vines, and also plant vines which are newly planted, but suitable to the local growing conditions, which are dry and quite difficult. And so this is where you'll find a lot of Rhone varieties, Grenache in particular, but producing really high quality, concentrated wines. And the producers here are young and dynamic, and it's definitely a wine region to look out for. 
Likewise, uh, just east of Svartland and just north of Pal is Tullback, and this is another instance of how South Africa has changed radically in just 20-25 years. A lot of white wine used to be made here. Even though it's very warm, it's 75 kilometers from the coast, and so there's a very small, cool coastal influence, but it gets very warm, so what should be planted here are black grape varieties. And um, so a lot, a lot of uprooting has happened, and now black grape varieties uh, dominate, in particular Shiraz, as it's usually called in South Africa, but not always. And these are really high-quality, full-bodied red wines. And so Tobak has emerged as a very good quality region, whereas 25 years ago it was known simply as a bulk white wine region. So going back further south and going east of Cape Town, we have uh, Stellenbosch. And this is the most important wine region in South Africa and the most known, the most famous. And Stellenbosch is surrounded by three mountains. Uh, Stellenbosch itself, Simonsburg and Helderberg. And this creates a valley which traps cool air coming in from the ocean. And so it's a warm climate again, like most of South Africa, but there's these cool winds just settling in the valley, cool things down and make high quality wine possible. As a wine region, it's established all the way back in 1679, so lots of history there. And it's important not just for the wine it produces, but also has a university there, uh, which is important for um, research and for education. Within uh, Stellenbosch, there are actually five wards, Jongershoek Valley, Papageiberg, Simonsburg Stellenbosch, Botellery and Devon Valley. And also um, on the Helderberg mountain, there are some very good vineyards planted there too. It really has its own de unofficial designation because people will talk about it quite a lot. Within the valley and also the mountain slopes, there are varied soils and climates. The valley floors have sandy alluvial loam. The hillsides have deep moisture retaining granite. And there are varied soils and climates according to uh, the valley floor or the mountain hillsides. Um, sandy alluvial loam on the valley floors, whereas the hillsides have deep, moisture-retaining granite. Great varieties grown in Stellenbosch, mainly uh, black grape varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, sometimes Bordeaux blends, also Shiraz and Pinotage as well, which is definitely going to be on the high-quality side of Pinotage rather than the inexpensive coffee-like stuff. And then there's also Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc grown in Stellenbosch. The Chardonnay is going to be quite rich but it has that freshness as well. And Sauvignon Blanc can be made in a variety of styles. It may be made in a Bordeaux style and blended with Semillon, which can be absolutely fantastic. But of course, as I mentioned throughout many of these episodes, Semillon is not a fashionable grape variety, which is really unfortunate because it makes fantastic wines. And the Bordeaux blends in Stellenbosch can be really good. And yeah, and, and Stellenbosch has 14% of all of South Africa's wine production. So it's important in terms of uh, volume as well as quality and it's the most tourist-focused area of South Africa. Lots of uh, tasting rooms, hotels, restaurants. It's a great place to visit. Just north of uh, Stellenbosch is Franschhoek, which um, is actually one of the wetter regions of South Africa. It just gets some rain dumped on it as falling from the, over the mountains that surround Stellenbosch. And this can produce similar styles of wine from Shiraz slash, slash Syrah and also the um, Sauvignon Blanc Sauvignon blends as well. So then going um, further east again and sticking to the coast, we have Walker Bay. And Walker Bay produces, is really important for producing different styles of wine than the rest of South Africa produces because they focus on Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And this demonstrates that South Africa is capable of producing very different styles and not just big, bold, full-bodied red wine. And so it's relatively cool, 
you've got a strong coastal influence. And the Pinot Noir here is uh, very good. Um, it has some fruitiness. It is relatively cool according to the rest of South Africa, but still not as cool as other Pinot Noir producing regions around the world. So it's good quality, but the Chardonnay is really exceptional. With fresh, high acidity and use, the use of oak and malolactic fermentation because it's a nice, rich texture, but very balanced wines. And just before you get to Walker Bay, as you're driving from uh, Cape Town, you have Elgin, which is where still a lot of apple trees are grown, and so there's very good cider made there. And this is a recently designated wine ward, which, uh, where Pinot Noir, again, is very good. And also Sauvignon Blanc can be extremely individual as well and intense. And then as you go further east, past Walker Bay, you can go to Aline, where there's some very good Syrah made. And this is where they usually call it Syrah rather than Shiraz, signifying a slightly different style of wine. And then finally, going further north and inland, go to Robertson, where it's very warm and dry. And this is in a different region, it's not within the coastal region, it's in within, within the Breeder River Valley region. And this region, although it's warm and dry, can produce some very good white wine, including Chardonnay, which is quite full and rich, even some Muscats and Columbard. The Breeder River is where the vineyards are mostly located, providing um, irrigation as well as alluvial soils. And Robertson accounts for 15% of uh, South Africa's harvest. And it's warm, an average daily temperature in the summer is 22 degrees C, only 400 millimetres rainfall. So irrigation is essential, and mainly this is for bulk wine. They just have those pockets that produce some very good white wine, the Chenin Blanc as well. And then next to uh, Robertson is Worcester, which doesn't really receive any uh, cooling influence. Extensive and fertile, also within the Breeder River Valley region, and this can account for up to 25% of the volume of wine produced in South Africa, and so the wine is mainly for distillation or fortification as well. It's warm, irrigation is needed, lots of co-ops. Half of uh, Western Cape Semion is planted in Worcester, but this is for the cheap, inexpensive stuff which may not even be labelled as Semion, and also a lot of Ruby Cabernet, which is not a great variety we really want to talk about because it's not going to be very good. So that's South Africa, lots of, uh, I haven't covered every single region, but there's lots of variety within South Africa according to location, climate, soil, elevation, what cooling influence there is or isn't. Uh, so these different regions are well worth exploring to discover what South Africa is capable of that is not just inexpensive wine. And I really want to support the South African wine industry because it needs it because the economy is perpetually difficult. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. Thank you.